As you age, the fatigue and failing endurance you feel can't be fixed with more and more caffeine. So introducing a new way to start your day, Super Beats Heart Chews. They're a tasty treat that can give you the energy that you need and are good for you. No more afternoon coffees, energy drinks, or candy for a quick pick-me-up. Add two delicious plant-based Super Beats Heart Chews to your morning routine and promote heart-healthy energy for your day without a caffeine crash. Because Super Beats Heart Chews' unique clinically researched grapeseed extract promotes heart-healthy energy and normal blood pressure, as part of a healthy lifestyle. The grapeseed extract used in Super Beats Heart Chews has been clinically shown to be two times as effective at supporting normal blood pressure as a healthy lifestyle alone. Now, for my listeners only, you can get up to 45% off plus free shipping at danasbeats.com. This is their best offer available anywhere. That's danasbeats.com. Get up to 45% off plus free shipping at danasbeats.com. That's danasbeats.com. danasbeats.com. So are some of the other steps that have been taken. And, you know, frankly, a lot of this also uh, is something where we've got to look at the oil company executives who say they're not going to add supply or production right now uh, and ask whether that's really the right direction. Because to you told them not to, like Smiley. This. Can't help but notice that when oil goes up, uh, gas goes up right, uh, right with it, right alongside it. Uh, but when those oil prices start coming back down to normal, the same thing does not seem to be happening with gas prices. We've got to take a look at that and we've got to address it. Oh, for the love. Secretary Mayor Newmom. Beauty dude. Beauty dude. I'm just because it's all so ridiculous. Welcome to the show. Your lovable, crazy haired curmudgeon, Dana Lash, here with you. Starting your Tuesday off terrifically. I, I'm starting with this because I'm so. I just. Bites knuckle. The whole idea of the Keystone Pipeline was to get oil that was sourced from Canada to the United States in a pipe, a pipe not powered by coal, a pipe that wasn't, it's not a, you know, vehicle. It's just a, it's a pipe, pipeline. Have you seen parts where they finished the pipeline? Have you seen parts of that area? Y'all, it looks like a park. It done looks better than my backyard. They've got like grass over it and flowers and it, it looks like I'm going to watch, you know, it's like a sound of music up there. Way better than the what they say that they're fighting against, right? The coal and all that stuff, right? Yeah. So here's the issue. You cannot make this up. Wall Street Journal this morning. The U.S. wants more oil from Canada, but they still oppose Keystone. Here's the subhead. God help me today. And I'm not saying that in vain. I mean, literally, the please, Lord, help me today with this. I'm struggling. I'm on that struggle bus halfway hanging out the window. Here's the subhead. White House still opposes Keystone, but other options could include shipping more oil by rail or expanding pipeline capacity along existing routes. Hey, Kane. Um, what does rail run on? Uh, yeah, that would be like coal. Coal. Yeah. Yeah. Big, bad coal. Big, bad coal. So they want to, the greenies wanted to be greener by using more non-green things. That's correct. Because what powers the pipeline? It doesn't need any power. It just needs a little pressure. That's it. There you go. Just some pressure. That's all. 
Jiminy Christmas, I tell you what. I'm just like, you need a deal. You people, this is so ridiculous. We got to deal with these people for three, guys, shh, just us. We got to deal with these people. For how many more years? What, three? Two and a half years? Two and a half more years, you guys. Two and a half more years we got to deal with this. Help us all day drinking. All right, so that's how bad off we are. Heaven forbid, y'all, heaven forbid we do anything more domestically. Oh, my gosh, no, we can't do that. So Biden walks up into the White House, kills the pipeline first day in. And now he's now he's all, hey, guys, uh, on second thought, we need, th- th- you know why they built another pipeline? You know why they were going to build another pipeline? Because uh, they were already at capacity with the other stuff they had. You, did, did you know that? Huh. huh. Let's expand capacity when it's already expanded to its maximum effect. How are you going to do that, Slick? Magic? <laughs> you can't make it up. This is how... <sighs> I hate starting your Tuesday afternoon like this, but I really felt like I needed to not A, inform you, and also commiserate and see vent a little bit, right? Good heavens. Now, that's... I Because there's more. So we have going hat in hand to Canada. They're trying to boost oil imports. If I was Canada, by the way, I would... Xerox a middle finger and put it in official enveloping and send it first class post haste to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue because they I mean they effectively killed so they killed so many jobs they oh my gosh one of the reasons why we're begging everybody dirty Venezuelan oil no environmental protections begging the Saudis Begging everybody else, still importing from Russia. The reason we're still doing that is because of this dude. You realize that we would have gotten more in Keystone than we actually bring in from Russia, right? You realize that if we were allowed to, again, I have to go over this because this is a sore spot with me, produce more domestically in addition to having some oil from Canada, we, we wouldn't need nothing from nobody. Hell, we could do it all ourselves. But President McUnity Big Mama doesn't want to have that happen. Oh, I'm going to get to that audio soundbite. All right. So in addition to this, the CDC is hiring outside experts to revamp the agency. Who wants to bet? And this is a piece from the Washington Post. And gents, I'll put it in Slack because I forgot to put it in my rundown. Or, well, I mean, I had it in my notes, but I forgot to put it on the actual sheet. They're looking to revamp the CDC because they, you know, it's, it's having some problems. Rochelle Walensky sent the staff an email saying it's a one-month effort. It's going to begin on April 11th. It's going to be led by Jim McRae, Associate Administrator for Primary Health Care at the Health Resource and Services Administration, which is another thing I didn't know existed in our government. HRSA, did you guys know that existed? Hell, these people, it's like government agencies are like cockroaches. There's a million of them, and it's impossible to get rid of them. I mean, it's not impossible, I think, but you know what I mean. There's a million of these things. They breed. While we sleep, government agencies breed, and they make more government agencies. So it's HRSA and the CDC are a part of HHS. WTF. (laughs) 
So they tap these officials. They're going to solicit suggestions for strategic change. I will make this really easy for you. I would offer my services for free. You know, the first, this is if you ask me, I feel like we need to uh, have Dana Show Consulting Services now for situations just precisely like this. Because my first suggestion would be A, dissolve yourself. That's my first suggestion. Second suggestion is stop lying. There you go. That's it. Thank you. That will be uh, $600,000. Thank you. Right? It's pretty insider. Like, usually, if you are trying to, and what strikes me as weird is they're bringing other government people in. Normally, when you're revamping something, don't you bring outsiders in, outsiders who have a fresh eye, and thus that fresh eye, they, they don't have any kind of associations or any endearments or entanglements. They're able to come in and very clinically look at what needs to be reduced or omitted and what doesn't. I mean, isn't that the whole point of bringing outsiders in is that they're outsiders? They're bringing in other other bureaucratic heads from the department over them. That's just stupid. That's not, that's, they're not literally, it's like having your, the, your cubicle neighbor. Hey, can you uh, look at my desk and you go, no, just bring somebody from the outside. It's just so silly. It's not, they're not serious. They're trying to make the, the, the least effort possible to revamp their image, but I just don't think it's revampable, so to speak. It really isn't. Not at this point. Especially when you have Article 42 is rescinded, but oh my gosh, we still have masks on airplanes. A friend of mine was flying yesterday, and uh, on their flight, there was a family that had a, a toddler and a 15-month-old, and the toddler didn't really, the two-year, I think three-year-old didn't really want to wear his mask for, you know, four hours. But the airlines were insisting, and apparently when they all deplaned on the jet bridge, uh, they were met by someone with the with the airlines, and they were saying that well, we could ban you from flying because of the toddler. I would be arrested at this point for what happened next. I think they kept their cool. I'm just done with it. It's all theater. It's stupid theater. I, don't you love these these blood sucking bureaucrats? We got to follow the rules, even though they're literally anti science, and they actually make things worse. We have to follow the rules. Rules followers. That's what Russian soldiers are saying, too, right? We're just following the rules, just doing our job. Nazi said that, too. We're just doing our job. Doing what we're told. The history is littered with the bad excuses of just doing what we're told, just following the rules. Horrible events in history littered with that. Yes, I do mean to make that exact comparison. You are correct. Now, we... <sighs> Have Barack Obama at the White House today. I told you about this yesterday. For no other reason than it's not the 12th year. You think that they would, well, I mean, Trump was in office in 2020. You think they would have really, if they, they would have done this last year. Or even, you know, right after, they would have done this right after Biden was inaugurated, maybe. But they're bringing Barack Obama in. Oh, what, just the 12th year. That's like celebrating. I, it's uh, it's our, the anniversary of our fourth date. We have to celebrate the anniversary of our fourth date. This is like the clingy girlfriend observation, memorialization, isn't it? So they're marking the Unaffordable Care Act's 12th year. I'll break your knuckles if you tell me that it's affordable. It's not. It is the worst. I'm on it. I lost my health care plan to Obamacare, and it is feces. It really is. 
It's a feted pile of feces. I don't know how else to describe it. It's horrible. Everyone who's on it. No, you don't get to keep your doctor. I lost two of mine. So lies, lies. But Obama's at the White House today. Not to really to mark his horrible health care act that they spent. How many billions? Wait, remind me. They remember when they made the website for the Unaffordable Care Act and it didn't work for the for, first year and we spent. I think it was two, hang on. I heard between two and six billion. I, I, I want to make sure I'm right on this because I know. Oh, yeah, that's right. Two point one billion dollars. Yeah. Now, it was exceeded to go to $5 billion, $2.1 billion, y'all, for the minimal cost of like a dollar. You could have made yourselves a GeoCity site that would have functioned a hell of a lot better than what this did. $2.1 billion. There are some social media experts out there that are getting paid. That's such a snake oil scam, by the way. I'm sorry it is. It is such a scam. Scam, scam. Backwards, it's mask. Scam. It is. It's a scam. I make fun of it all the time. I want to teach you how to talk on these platforms to people. Just do like you do in real life. Wait, stop it. $2.1 billion. Somebody got fed off this. Someone's living their best life because we as taxpayers spent $2.1 billion on a website that didn't work for a year. Still sucks. So Barack Obama's at the White House for the sole reason of helping to prop up Bernie. I mean, Joe Biden. Weekend at Bernie's, you know. Joe Biden is that desperate. I was on Jesse Waters last night talking about Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton was trying to give Democrats advice. The only advice that I would ever want from that woman is A, how to not go to jail, and B, how to get away from with murder. Those are the, that's the only bit of advice I would ever want from that woman. That's it. She is the expert. Those things she did win at. Usually, you need to win elections before you can start lecturing about how to win elections. But she is successful on not going to jail for things you should totally go to jail over. And also, I'm just saying, Vince Foster didn't foster himself. Just saying. We have a lot more to get into. So let me tell you what I got on deck. Uh, we uh, Joe Biden apparently is getting dragged into the Hunter Biden grand jury probe. And I'm going to explain. And it all comes down to three words. The big guy. We'll talk about that coming up. Elon Musk has vowed significant changes. He made it to the board of directors, but I'm going to explain to you how I think that that was a self-protection method from Jack Dorsey and some of the others. And I'll explain that to you coming up. We're also going to get into uh, apparently Big Mama joins the corn pop in Joe Biden's mind theater. That character we got because we have to. We're, we got a whole bunch of stuff. The Griff, Black Lives Matter, used $6 million in donations secretly to buy a mansion. We got a ton of stuff you don't want to miss. If you're listening to my show, then I know that you believe it's your right to keep and bear arms. More than 100 million Americans identify as firearm owners. And in 2021, there were more than 3 million new gun owners in the United States. Silencer Shop is the number one source for suppressors in the U.S. They're a Texas-based company founded in 2010 with a focus on outstanding customers customer service. Dedication to customers are just one of the reasons that they're ranked 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot, and that's over 25 thousand reviews. They had one core belief that guns don't have to be loud. The silencer shop kiosk makes the NFA process easy for your suppressor, SBR, or any NFA item that you'd form for. By tapping into silencer shop for your ATF eForm 4, you'll get your can in your hands faster than ever and expect to get it within 90 days. Check out YouTube and Instagram at silencer shop or visit silencershop.com and you'll experience silencer ownership simplified. Don't forget to check out their apparel as well. That's silencer 
silencershop.com. And now, all of the news you would probably miss. It's time for Dana's Quick Five, brought to you by Caltech. Metallica has donated $500,000 to World Central Kitchen, the nonprofit organization run by Chef Jose Andre, to feed help feed Ukrainian refugees that have been driven out of their homes by the invasion of Russian forces. So they're doing their part. $500,000. The donation is delivered uh, through the band's organization, All Within My Hands. It's a charitable foundation. And that is after they had a previous $100,000 grant to the cause. So they've been working with Chef Andre and the cooks and all of that. And they said they've been making sure that uh, food is being delivered. Most of the refugees have been going through Poland. Uh, and that actually is one of the things I was watching uh, one report. It was from The Guardian on that. They were saying that they were trying to be as quick as possible as get, at getting food in because the number of refugees coming into Poland has just been astronomical. So good on Metallica, right? Metallica's uh, doing some good stuff. Also, oh my gosh, we're running. Burger King ads mislead customers about the size of its burgers. And so now there's a class action lawsuit claiming that they're 35% smaller than what they were as advertised. Uh, We got a lot more. Stay with us. Don't go anywhere. Never run out of coffee by joining the coffee club with Black Rifle Coffee Company. Black Rifle Coffee Company was built upon the mission to serve coffee and culture to people who love America. As a veteran-owned company, Black Rifle Coffee Company delivers on that promise by developing explosive roast profiles with the same mission focus learned as military members, and they're committed to supporting veterans, law enforcement, and first responders. When you join the coffee club, you select your perfect roast, how much coffee you want, and how often you want it delivered, and it's all shipped right to your door free. So not only do you save a trip to the store, but you also get special discounted pricing and gain access to exclusive products and partner brand discounts. If you're not sure which roast is best for you, take the Black Rifle Coffee quiz and get matched to the perfect coffee roast and then join the club. Visit BlackRifleCoffee.com slash Dana to save 20% off your first coffee club purchase, coffee and select gear. That's 20% off with promo code Dana at BlackRifleCoffee.com slash Dana. Fuel your life with America's coffee. Black Rifle Coffee. Listen to The Dana Show live on the Odyssey app, weekdays, noon to 3 p.m. Eastern Time. And the, and the only woman truck driver I ever knew I met that day, she said, this is Big Mama, no room. <laughs> Swear to God, true story. Swear to God. He said, he said I've got a up. United States senator driving my truck. She said, I got the damn president of mine, so what? <laughs> I'll never forget that. I was a very powerful guy. Anyway... That was the first. Wow. Welcome to the show. That's Joe Biden's mind show. I already welcomed you to mine. Welcome back. Your lovable curmudgeon, Dana Lash. That is the president of the United States who's making up Broadway in his mind. I love this headline from Daily Caller. Big Mama joins Corn Pop in Joe Biden's colorful cast of characters. This is like Disney on an acid trip, right? Big Mama and Corn Pop. It's just a giant puffy kernel. I wouldn't know what a bad acid trip is like. I'm just saying, kids. I'm not Big Bird. Stop it. Big Mama, though, who the hell is that? So he, this is not an actual true story. So he was talking about this. He's trying to kiss the truckers' butts, right? After putting them through hell with all these regulations and everything else, he was applauding truckers for their contribution to the economy, and he was talking about how they're going to help the industry. And... So he decided to try to relate to them by making up a story, right? So he's making up the story. And he said uh, the only female truck driver he ever knew, which 
sidebar, that sounds kind of sexist because I actually know a lot of lady drivers, right? I know a lot of truck drivers who happen to be chicks. Just saying. I have no idea how I, I know of them. And I knew one personally when I was younger. My uncle dated one. The, he says the only problem is that there's, he apparently never drove a truck or let alone worked as a truck driver, but he's claiming that he did. So he said that when he was a senator, he rode out to this Deemer Steel Company, this guy who ran the steel company. He decided to ride with him to go to this strike. And he said he was going through Ohio and there was a trucker strike and, you know, all this stuff. And, and literally even PolitiFact was like, this is not even true. This never happened. There's no record that he ever drove out to Ohio in an 18 wheeler for any kind of strike for anything. There's no record of this ever happening. But he's been lied and he said that there was a, this woman blocked him and his his partner from actually driving through Shiloh. And so he was using, I guess he's on the CB, right? Breaker breaker uh 19. This is Winnie Bago over. I'm just saying. But he said just it's the first thing I could come up with. We got a we got Smokies up here, half mile marker. I'm just. So, did, did anybody else's family, by the way, in their regular ever, average everyday cars, have CB radios and would just talk to people? Not the average person, but we had one. Every almost every member of my family had one had a CB radio, and they literally they all talked. It was it was like an it was like Twitter before Twitter. And people would get on and everybody had a handle. That that was actually the original social media was CB. Was that. I just now realized that. Everybody had a name. And I always wanted a name for CB radio. And I have half a mind to actually do it. Because I think it's it's just cool. Anyway. He's like. Uh, he was sitting here talking about how all the truck stops were blockaded during the strike. And he said. his The guy's. I guess his writing partner was was big 10 and he said yeah he said big 10 wanting to come in and he goes i forget how he said it and the only woman truck driver i ever met said this is big mama no room he goes that's a true story but it's not true so they everybody looked at politifact everybody looked at this it never happened so it it sounds did he watch like too many did he watch Wee's big adventure too many damn times he's like francis Right? This is Big Mama. Good grief. And then I went to the Alamo where I asked if there's a basement there. And can you believe it? That damn jamming hook said there wasn't and laughed at me. They told me about tortillas. Yeah. Jan Hooks with her southern accent. This woman's making an authentic Mexican tortilla. Can y'all say tortilla? (laughs) It's the best. That movie's the best. Sorry. But it's like he's recounting Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Every time he tells one of these stories, I have to stop. And I'm like, didn't I watch this as a kid? Pretty sure I did. Like, I'm pretty sure I watched this as a child. Yeah. Why would you lie about something like that? And honestly, it makes me angrier. Because do you know why people in the press, the the excuse that normal, sensical people have as to why they don't confront him about it, Oh, he's old. Speaking of old, Hillary Clinton. What is it? He Biden's 79 and Hillary Clinton's 74. And I was reading this one write-up of her. 
because she gave some interview that I didn't watch. I just read a headline about it because I'm not going to subject myself to that. There's not enough pay for anybody on God's green earth. And she was trying to lecture Democrats about their chances coming up in November because by all by all indications, they're going to get slammed. I recount I recounted this before back in 2010. The first time I ever did election night coverage was for ABC. And I was because I was one of the T I was one of the people who founded the modern day Tea Party movement. And so and I was on radio and I already talked about election stuff and I, you know, had a background with it. So I was on ABC with first time I ever met Diane Sawyer and George Stephanopoulos. And I was on with Donna Brazil, uh, Jennifer Granholm, who's now the energy secretary. And oh, gosh, who's that one guy who who's such a, a B? I can't remember his name. No, his name's Matt something, I think. I can't remember. He's not important enough. Anyway, he doesn't rank in my story at all. And I will never forget the evening. I think everybody was downplaying just how much Republicans were going to win in that midterm election. Because everybody was pretty peppy, right? Donna Brazil was felt really good about her chances. Jennifer Granholm felt really good about her chances, about the party's chances. And they were just real peppy. And I was, you know, the new kid on the block, the youngest person there on set. I think maybe I was like 31, maybe 30, 31. And um, can't even remember how old I was. So was there on set and you couldn't bring your own laptop. What they had was their ABC, you know, PC computers. And on the laptops they had all of the secretary of state sites for some of the biggest races to watch they had a a software system where you could just pull it all up on one screen which is actually quite helpful cnn when i worked at cnn and i covered uh 2012 election they had something similar to that too and it was because all the all the uh votes are all counted and they all come through the secretary of state sites for the respective states and i remember there was at one point when we were, it was probably like maybe 8, 8, 8.30 on the Eastern Coast because we were in New York. And watching some of this stuff come in, and I remember Donna Brazil and Jennifer Granholm were kind of going back and forth on something in a friendly way. They just had a minor inter-party disagreement. And the site refreshed. And I started seeing some of these totals come in for some of these states that I think Democrats had considered. Missouri was one of them. Uh, I'm trying to think of some of these other races where they had considered that, you know, it was it was kind of a done deal. Like nobody's ever really going to they might flirt with the idea before the election of uh, voting uh, Republican or going independent as a punishment to Democrats. But it's never going to happen. And I was the first one to to see it. And I remember interrupting them and saying, guys, you might want to check out some of the latest results. And then everything turned and it got real serious real quick. And. I'm explaining to these people, you, you you guys were just proving it here with your discussion. It's just business as usual, as usual for Democrats and even establishment Republicans. I'm like this, this and, and the point that I made at the time. And I made this point actually to Diane Sawyer is that the, the Tea Party movement of 2010, the lasting impact of that. And I always said that the organization should it should never turn into an organization or a group A good movement. The activism side has to end so the actual, you know, lasting change can begin. Every good movement has a sunset. And if it doesn't, it turns into a grift. And 
I told them, I said, the implications for this are going to be so much more far reaching. Not, it's not just for Republicans that this, is, that this affects. I said, there's going to be a measure as to how this grassroots movement is affecting Democrats and what direction that takes your party. Is that going to make your party more moderate or is it going to make your party more left? And then we had a big discussion over that. Well, we saw it made them, it actually pushed them more towards the left. So this, what's, and I see kind of the same thing in a way happening now. So you have Hillary Clinton out there who's instructing all these people, all these Democrats saying, well, you, you need to come out of the basement. She's not really offering anything. She, she's like, you, you need to understand what the average American thinks. The average American does not like Hillary Clinton. Hell, the average Democrat doesn't like Hillary Clinton. There was a a Gallup poll that came out that was measuring registered Democrat voters, and it looked at like 2,300 of them. Fewer than 14% of voters, Democrat registered Democrat voters, viewed any involvement of Hillary Clinton in any political race from here on out as a negative. It was pretty stunning. And it wasn't just people who were far left. It was a lot of independents. Nobody likes her. She has never been likable. This woman has not had amiability since she was running to helping her husband with his first presidential run. I'll never forget when Hillary Clinton made the mistake of saying people were asking her about her support for her husband. And she made this quip like, oh, I don't have the time to stay home and make cookies and have teas. That ticked off every woman, Democrat and Republican, from there on out. And I will never forget how when all the feminists were rushing to defend Bill Clinton, they were doing it in spite of Hillary. There's no feminist that actually held her up as a serious feminist icon because she grifted to get where she was. She wrote on her husband's coattails. She didn't have I mean, she look, she she get, didn't she get she got pulled off a major case when she was in college. She had a carpet bag over to New York in order to run and 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 from a solidly blue district. Because she's and she's never really ever had to campaign. That's why she campaigned so horribly the last two times that she ran when she was running for president. Didn't even go to half the places. She hasn't been out fundraising for anybody. She stays ensconced up in in Chappaqua and then she comes out and tries to lecture Democrats about how they should run their races. And as I said last segment, the only thing that this woman should be lecturing anybody about is how to get away with murder and how to stay out of jail. That's the, those only damn things that she could offer anyone in terms of advice. But it goes to show you how in bad straits Democrats are and how rudderless it is that there is a power vacuum that Hillary Clinton feels that she can still step back in it. It's pretty unbelievable. We have a lot more on the way because uh, you got to see the pictures. If you're watching, I sent this out to radio subscribers. So if you are my newsletter subscribers on Substack. So if you get my newsletter, you already saw this story. The you got you, you the mega swank photos inside that $30,000 a month magical Mediterranean resort style home in Malibu that Hunter Biden's been staying in. This while Joe Biden is slowly being dragged into that grand jury probe for his son. We're going to talk about that here coming up. You don't want to miss. As you age, the fatigue and failing endurance you feel can't be fixed with more and more caffeine. So introducing a new way to start your day, Super Beats Heart Chews. They're a tasty treat that can give you the energy that you need and are good for you. No more afternoon coffees, energy drinks, or candy for a quick pick-me-up. Add two delicious plant-based Super Beats Heart Chews to your morning routine and promote heart-healthy energy for your day without a caffeine crash. Because Super Beats Heart Chews' unique clinically researched grapeseed extract promotes heart-healthy energy and normal blood pressure, 
as part of a healthy lifestyle. The grapeseed extract used in Super Beets Heart Chews has been clinically shown to be two times as effective at supporting normal blood pressure as a healthy lifestyle alone. Now, for my listeners only, you can get up to 45% off plus free shipping at danasbeats.com. This is their best offer available anywhere. That's danasbeats.com. Get up to 45% off plus free shipping at danasbeats.com. That's danasbeats.com. danasbeats.com. Your one-stop shop for the information you need to fight back. If you're going to have to learn stuff, you might as well enjoy it. The Dana Show. Welcome back to the program. I like Bjork. Your lovable curmudgeon. I had uh, one of my Missouri fam. They sent me this link this morning. It was one of the first stories that I read this morning. It was from the Missouri Independent because, you know, there's a real sassy Senate primary race up there. And I've told you guys before, I am not an Eric Greitens fan. I've never met this dude. Unlike all the other grifters out there, I don't have no dog in this fight. I'm not getting paid consultancy fees like almost everybody else that's pushing this. I'm not naming names, but if you push me, dude, I will bury you in receipts. Because there's a lot of, there's, there's shadiness on the right, too. There's, and, there, and, and I actually, I, you know, I, in full disclosure, and I've met him once in person, and it was at a CPAC. And it was like kind of in passing. Uh, Eric Schmidt, the AG of Missouri. That's who I kind of prefer. There are a lot of really good, I mean, there's not really, Missouri's got a lot of good Republicans, except for one of the dudes running in this primary, who is literally a Democrat up until 2016 and went after Second Amendment rights in Missouri. He doesn't support the Second Amendment Preservation Act because he doesn't understand it, maybe. I don't know. But when you use mom's demand language, like literal mom's demand language, to attack Second Amendment rights on record, like we played the audio of it. And then all these grassroots gun groups in Missouri were getting all mad at him over it. That's an issue, dude. When you made the Capitol a gun-free zone, when you refused to support constitutional carry, when people needed that momentum the most, that's a huge thing. So I don't think he's a two-way guy. And I don't think that, you know, posing with a 50 cal in a video, that's like gun bunny stuff, man. You know, you got to have some action with it. Now, I saw this headline and this is just bad. It's he's because he's involved in this big custody fight with his ex-wife, Sheena Greetens. It, she says, here's the headline, says she has photos and records to document abuse by former Missouri governor. Former First Lady denies charges of conspiracy with Karl Rove and Mitch McConnell says attack campaign could force her to speak to media. This has gotten ridiculous. So Eric Greitens, honestly, to me. It sounds like the guy wants, I just think when, you're, when your family has fallen apart and you're fighting for custody of your kids, maybe you should focus on that. He has like Hillary Clinton-like ambition and Hillary Clinton-like judgment. He's got so much baggage and he was never found innocent. I want to be very careful. One quick thing and then I'm going to talk about the story. You, you can sit here and talk about the corrupt DA. I sure as hell have. Kim Gardner and then the Al Watkins stuff, all you want to, in the case where uh, they were looking at all the evidence against him, there were felony charges. Never forget, it was his lawyers that approached Kim Gardner to ask for them to drop charges if he left the governor's mansion. And never forget that at the same time Kim Gardner had her investigation, the majority Republican committee 
that was formed in the special session, they were looking at the same evidence, talking to the same witnesses, and when they concluded their investigation, that they were going to impeach him. So there were always two investigations. There was never just one, and they all looked at the same evidence. Kim Gardner's corruption actually gave, saved Eric Greitens. But Sheena Greitens here, this is, they're coming out and they're fighting all of this. I just think that the more, she's got to be careful and not, if, look, if you got stuff, then come out with it. Don't undermine your credibility, though, by saying, well, I could be forced to just then just come out with it then. I'll talk more about this here coming up. Don't go anywhere. More of the Dana Show coming up. Second hour on the way. While the media and political class are obsessed with supporting anything and everything that's outside of America, it's important that we focus on our country, our families, and the businesses which need your support. And this is why I'm proud to partner with Patriot Mobile, America's only Christian conservative cell phone provider. They offer broad nationwide coverage. In fact, they use the same powers as the major carriers, so you get the same great nationwide coverage. Plus, you also get peace of mind that your money is supporting your right to free speech. Patriot Mobile has plans to fit any budget, and their 100% U.S.-based customer support team provides exceptional customer service. More importantly, Patriot Mobile shares your values and supports organizations that fight for religious freedom, constitutional rights, sanctity of life, and our veteran and first responders. Visit PatriotMobile.com Dana or call 972-PATRIOT. Get free activation when you use offer code Dana. Veterans and first responders save even more, so make the switch today. Support a company that shares your values. Visit PatriotMobile.com Dana. That's PatriotMobile.com Dana or call 972-PATRIOT today. So she's going to have the 50 votes. She's going to be the justice. And they are going to have missed the historical moment yep. of voting for the first black woman. Yeah. And they're going to go down in history as having been against the first black woman justice, which is a big moment for this country. Mm-hmm. Whomever likes it, fine. Whomever dislikes it, fine. Whether you accept it, you acknowledge it. It is a huge historical moment over almost 240 years yeah. of the Supreme well, Court. You know what? Deal with it. Gosh, Anna Navarre. I just wanted to use this as a larger point. I I don't. I was recounting some stories with the staff here off air. Welcome back to the show. Your lovable curmudgeon, Dana Lash. Second hour of the program. It is high noon in Dallas, Texas today. But I. That's not accurate. What she's saying. What Navarro was saying there, because it was actually Democrats that had opposed the first black woman who had been who was going to be nominated to the court. Bush nominated Judge Janice Rogers Brown. She was on U.S. Court of Appeals for D.C. Circuit, and that's the springboard for SCOTUS, right? And she was immediately hailed as a potential Supreme Court nominee because this was about when Sandra Day O'Connor, this was like, I mean, there was going to be an opening and she was the front runner. And that's when Biden went out and was speaking to the press and he poisoned the well. He did a number of interviews uh, and there were Democrats writing op-eds about this. They were threatening to filibuster her. They said they would filibuster her nomination. And in fact, back in, uh, let me pull this up. I want to make sure I have the correct, because there are receipts. Of course there are. There was uh, Robert Novak had a piece in, uh, it was, I think originally, well, no, this was at CNN, but this was on March 3rd, 2003. And Novak in his column was, he said it was, quote, the first full scale effort in American history to prevent a president from picking the federal judges that he wants, end quote. So that, I mean, that's, that's the, you know, that's the way it is. So that's not even historically accurate. I mean, I get that, you know, silly women want to say silly things. And in the heat of the moment, they just let their mouths run away with them. You know, not all silly women, but some particularly who are on certain television shows. But that's not, that's not accurate. It's not historically accurate. I just, you know, you need to be correct with this stuff. 
and 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 I mean that's just the history of it. Now I made I I'm I'm aggravated with some of these moderate Republicans, right? And I'm I made a made a mention of this. Let me pull this up a little earlier because I see it come up quite a lot, and I've said this before too. I and I want to reiterate. I said this yesterday. I think that Kentanji Brown Jackson, had she not screwed it up for herself, I think that it, it would have been, you know, I don't think that there would have been a lot of opposition. Yeah, she has a horrible, I think she has a horrible record. We're not in disagreement here. But I'm saying this because it wouldn't have disrupted the balance of, of ideology on the court, et cetera, et cetera. And that's all important. But and by the way, the reason that she she's going forward, that her vote is now uh, going forward to the full Senate is because of Murkowski, Collins and Romney. You guys know I don't like Mitt Romney, right? I have a I yeah, I was just talking about her greetings last last segment. I don't like Mitt Romney either. I've never liked Mitt Romney. Uh, and I got in trouble with a lot of Republicans uh, in 2012 because I did not like Mitt Romney. Oh, man. I had the Romney flip-flops, man. I legit wore those. I didn't like Mitt Romney because I never... I always thought that he tried to be... Uh, an, he tried to be an appeaser to the point where he sa- it, it almost sacrificed principle. There's a point... I mean, there's de-escalation and then there's, there's compromise in terms of... It, with politics, at some point, you got to get to an agreement. But he would always rush to concede the most. And I couldn't get over the fact that this is a guy who implemented Obamacare first in Massachusetts. I mean, there's no way around it. I've talked about that six ways to Sunday. And when I was a contributor on CNN, Romney's people were so mad at me that they tried to actually jeopardize my job at CNN. They were, um, they were talking to the han- one of the handlers at CNN who dealt with contributors and they were insisting that anytime I was on to talk about the election or Mitt Romney, that I would have a Romney apologist counter me. They demanded it. If like the CNN wanted access to Romney, it was crazy. So after that, I mean, I that just made me dislike him even more. He's never been on. I've never talked to any Romney campaign person, never met him. We just, I mean, after that I was like, yeah, I'm not. And of course he's one of those people. He supported the advancement of Kintanji Brown Jackson to go towards the full Senate vote. Now, some people were saying that there's just because she has a liberal mindset, that's not a reason to keep her off the court. If conservatives want to appoint conservatives, we should win elections. Oh, great job there, JV. I mean, that's like a that's like a dime store frosh and observation. That's actually a stupid observation made by someone who you can tell has not been involved in this a long time. Uh, I was I my I actually bristled when I read that and I responded. And here's my point. Kentanji Brown Jackson's political ideology is irrelevant to the point that it prevents her from acknowledging basic biological definitions that affect decades of jurisprudence and limit her ability to adjudicate future cases predicated upon sex, like Title IX, for instance. How are you going to be adjudicating cases like men competing in women's sports if you don't even know what the hell a woman is? 
Huh? I do wish Marshall Blackburn would have said, are you a woman? Are you? Judge Jackson, are you a woman? Okay, can you define what a woman is? Then how do you know you are one? Just because you identify as? Because that's sacrificing not just scientific reality, chromosomal reality, biological reality at the altar of political, uh, the political rage mob. But it's showing that she can be influenced. And I don't like that. And I think that's immediate disqualification. She has a horrible, she's, I mean, yes, there's a bunch of other, I mean, the stuff with the child rape cases, I, I know you saw the headline, uh, here's this headline, child rapist molested second victim after Supreme Court nominee Kentanji Brown Jackson gave him lax sentence for failing to register as a sex offender. Now, the other problem, and the reason that I bring up her definition of a woman, because I think that's the actual easiest argument for conservatives that doesn't get in the weeds. And it's an argument that forces progressives to address their own hypocrisy and inconsistency with that argument. Now, as it relates to this case with these uh, child predators, I mean, I, I don't think that I think any sentencing beyond death is too soft. So I'm a little biased. But the problem with her approach to sentencing is that she believes in that whole idea of restorative justice, which is the rot in the judicial system that's actually promoting and, and encouraging crime. Restorative justice believes that, well, punishment and penalty isn't, and I think that, that, I think that penalty and punishment, that's not really the word I want to use. Justice is the word I want to use. Because I think penalty robs that using that word instead of justice is robbing the victim of the justice they are due someone i mean a consequence of being a child predator is that you could have a harsh criminal penalty and that is that is justice but she believes in restorative justice and restorative justice is this mindset that the issue with crime is that criminals are just not understood and that really what we ultimately should be doing is encouraging an understanding between, you know, the criminals and the people whom they offend and, and you know, uh, working towards uh, this, you know, this uh, uh, rehabilitation and all of that stuff. That's just nonsense. It's nonsense. It's a rot. These, these are the people who want to organize a meeting between the victim and the offender to solve the process. No, because a lot of times people are so damn traumatized by the crime committed against them. Why would they want to see their, their, the pe- person who attacked them again? Kentanji Brown Jackson has handed out light sentences before. Because she thinks that the criminals will recognize that mer- act of mercy and then repeat the mercy themselves. What an assumption. What an assumption. This guy, Leo Weeks, he was convicted in 2010, D.C. Superior Court. He raped his 13-year-old niece four years earlier. Yeah, when she was nine. He appeared before her for sentencing. Prosecutors wanted a two-year minimum. She sentenced him to one year. There are people in Jan- that uh, had uh, done unlawful parading 
January 6th. That got harsher sentences than this guy did in 2010. In June 2015, he sexually assaulted his sister-in-law. He attacked her. And he appeared before, uh, once again, before Kentanji Brown-Jackson, who once again gave him a late sentence. She allowed him to, she was lenient, let him serve his, system, his sentences concurrently. So he got a 12-month sentence in February 2014 after he didn't register as a sex offender. And when he, uh, he only served, well, I think, what, five months? <sighs> now you can, that's recidivism. He's reoffending. That's recidivism. This is the this is a major problem. Restorative justice isn't actually about justice. There's a ton of these cases and it's actually sickening. But I I think that one of the easiest arguments to make against her is the fact that she refuses to acknowledge basic biological definitions because it not only shows the ridiculousness of that movement but it forces it forces the left to confront their own hypocrisy on a public stage. And then it also forces them all to recognize everything that they, all the women empowerment and all of that. How can you have feminism if you can't define what a woman is? How do you have protections for women if you can't define what a woman is? How do you have unequal pay as a myth if you can't define what a woman is? Isn't it left? I mean, how far down this line you all want to go? The end of 2021 saw inflation rise by almost 7% in just one month. And that means in 30 days, your dollar became 93 cents. This year, the stock market has been dangerously volatile. Gold provides a hedge against inflation, which is why you should trust legacy precious metals for investing in gold and silver. Inflation isn't slowing down. It's escalating. Trust legacy precious metals to give you unbiased counsel based on your personal situation. It's time to be proactive and take steps to protect yourself. Legacy precious metals will advise you on all of your options, whether that's rolling your existing retirement account into a gold IRA or whether that's holding physical metals directly in your home. Speak to an IRA expert at Legacy Precious Metals. The number is 866-580-2088 or download their free investor's guide at LegacyPMInvestments.com. Protect your family's wealth with Legacy Precious Metals. Call 866-580-2088 or visit LegacyPMInvestments.com. And now, all of the news you would probably miss. It's time for Dana's Quick Five, brought to you by Caltech. How to murder your husband, writer, goes on trial for murdering her husband, allegedly. An Oregon romance novelist who once wrote How to Murder Your Husband, literally, will face trial on Monday for killing her husband for a $1.5 million life insurance payout. Oh my gosh. Nancy Crampton Brophy, 71, has pled not guilty to gunning down her husband of 25 years, Daniel Brophy, in Portland in June 2018. He was found with gunshot wounds to his back and chest at the Oregon Culinary Institute where he taught after arriving for work. Now, she told police she was at their home when it happened and she was arrested months later after they discovered she was actually there at the crime scene. When it happened, because it looks like they shot him. That's nuts, though. That's so crazy. And also, your husband of 25 years? Like, what in the world? Oh, man. All right. So, we got this. We also have Amazon has a new internal chat app that plans to ban the words union, pay rise, and plantation 
to avoid negative sentiment after days after Staten Island became the first to unionize. So that's kind of a little interesting. Uh, let's see here. Uh, a couple of other things. I am shocked at this story. This comes, let me pull this up, comes from Daily Mail. An influencer, ha- influencer, can we stop using this word? Someone who posts about products and gets paid on the internet accuses eBay of profiting off of the Holocaust after finding listings for genocide collectibles. Everything from yellow star badges and letters from people who uh, Jewish people who died at the hands of Nazis being sold for thousands of dollars. A 28-year-old from New York ex- who explores thrift stores to find old documents and tries to reunite them with her owners. With her owners, she was looking at eBay and she found literally a listing that was called Holocaust Collectibles. Now, I understand people who get things for historical purpose because I think it's really important to preserve things, not because you're celebrating it or commemorating it, but do you realize what it's like to see one of those stars in per- Glenn Beck has one of those stars, and he puts it up on display like they actually pin this to people. It is wild. To, to know that 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 people were so depraved all people are always depraved but that they that and to see that that was actually on someone's that was on someone's sleeve that's it, it's just oh there's a difference between that and then the exploitation I think of what some of this is which is what I think this individual is trying to you know there's a difference for historical value and then you know the other the other thing I, I get it. Ooh, Biden's education department is issuing new rules that critics are saying are designed to crush charter schools. Department, we'll talk about this coming up. Department of Education is proposing new rules that will give teachers unions even more power here and uh, more control while making it harder for charter schools to qualify and re- for and receive federal grants. They're going to place limits on um, funding strategy for a lot of these schools. Oh, my goodness. Coming up, Congressman Chip Roy will join us. There's a few things to discuss with him, including that Title 42 ending. You don't want to miss. Stick with us. Much of the media does not cover some of the most important news of the day. I'm Byron York from The Byron York Show. In my latest episodes, I discuss how Kamala Harris's unpopularity could affect her chances to be Joe Biden's successor. With inflation being the highest it's been in four decades, it could take years to get back to normal. And the White House had to explain Biden's speech from his appearance in Poland, where he called for, quote, regime change in Russia. So don't forget to download and subscribe to my daily No Chit Chat podcast to hear me expose and dissect the news of the day. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Of all your favorite talk hosts, one of these is not like the others. The Dana Show. Not just I believe that. DHS, actually, in their own internal numbers, thinks that once they drop Title 42, they'll have a million people within six weeks that will illegally cross the border. The people are piling up right now south of the border waiting on the Title 42 drop. And uh, they're trying to figure out how to be able to manage it. Their focus right now is focused on how to keep there from being chaos at the border rather than how to actually control the border. Well, yeah, that's not uh, a lie at all. That's a thousand percent true. That's Senator Langford talking about Title 42 that's expected to expire here soon. The CDC says there's no need for it. But yet, apparently, we still have uh, emergency authorization that Biden is still using when it comes to vaccines and boosters. It just doesn't make sense in how you can have one and not the other. Not because, you know, science on this issue. Joining us now, Texas Congressman Chip Roy. 
from the great republic of texas and he joins us now he's been talking about this a bit i'm also going to talk to you about the uh supreme court stuff uh but i'm going to start with this always good to see you congressman as as uh, you know we've we still explain this to me how is that and i'm trying to wrap my mind around this how is it that the cdc is able to say there's it's not an emergency enough anymore to have title 42 but yet Biden can still use these emergency powers for all of this other stuff. I mean, is there, I say this kind of, you know, facetiously, but I mean, I'm kind of wondering, is there some magic at the border that makes it everything less contagious there? Well, it's a great question. Good to be on as always, Dan. I hope you and Chris and the whole family are doing well. Um, Yeah, look, this is all political. It's been political from the very beginning. Uh, Title 42 exists in our health codes to stop anybody coming across the border who might have communicable diseases, not just COVID. Yeah, now, yes, the Trump administration stepped up enforcement, as you would expect, uh, on the last year of, of his administration in order to deal with the, the rush at our border, in order to protect us, particularly during a pandemic. But you rightly point out that this administration is still requiring masks on airplanes, still requiring uh, you know, mandatory vaccines. The president today is extending authority on student loans. Nancy Pelosi is still uh, extending proxy voting, which is, you know, unlawful, silly and, and frankly, a bunch of members of Congress lying. But look, here's the deal. Uh, the American people need to understand that this Title 42 issue is just another enforcement tool that Secretary Mayorkas and the president and the entire administration refuse to use. They're not interested in using any of the tools at their disposal. Migrant protection protocols are under a federal judge, uh, judge's order. We have federal laws on the books like the Secure Fence Act blatantly be ignored. But they don't have any interest in actually enforcing the law. And here's the consequence. You've heard it and you put people on 8,000 people a day now at our border. And we're, tur- we're turning away about half of them right now under Title 42. But when Title 42 goes away, the half being turned away will no longer be turned away. The numbers will go up. And just last night, our friend Brandon Judd, whom you've know, you know and you've talked to, Brandon said those numbers could swell to 15 to 18,000. So do the math. If we even only have 10,000 a day, 300 something thousand a month and we're not turning any of them away that's well over three million people coming across our country not counting the known gotaways which last year was half a million we've already had almost 600,000 i'm sorry about 300 to 400,000 known gotaways this fiscal year that's the the, that's what's happening and and we're getting hurt in texas as you know and there's really ultimately i I mean i'm at a loss to suggest what could even be done to mitigate this because i mean really it's all uh, this is this is federal uh, federal up i mean if anybody decides to do anything locally or state-based i mean you then then you see dhs come in and or not dhs sorry doj come in and threaten to sue everybody so what from what i understand this was like the last really uh force multiplier for the lack of a better way to put it that border patrol had to kind of control some of this well, it is. And that's because, as I said, they refuse to enforce the law of the United States. Look, there are only two barriers between us and total chaos and destruction of our ranches, livestock getting out, yeah. children getting abused, cartels getting empowered, fentanyl pouring into our schools, Americans dying, all of the consequences of a wide open border, lack of sovereignty. Uh, all of that can only really be stopped right now. One of, I guess, really three ways. Number one, we have a discharge petition on the floor of the House of Representatives that has 210 signatures. Republicans, all Republicans, except for, I think, Adam Kinzinger. You can insert your commentary there. He'll be out soon. And uh, and then no Democrat. So where is Henry Cuellar? Where are some of my friends that I've worked with before, like Abigail Spanberger, Dean Phillips, or any of the other Democrats who try to run as moderates? 
Where are they in saying that they'll sign a discharge petition? And what does that mean, Dana? That's that, that, not to interrupt you, Congressman, but that really shocks me what you say about Cuellar, because he was been he's been very vocal. Did he just get scared by the more progressive members of his party? Well, you know, Henry's in a tough race down there, and I like Henry and he's a friend, but he yeah. should sign this discharge petition. Look, there is the establishment in Washington doesn't like to sign discharge petitions because this is the way it works for your audience. The speaker sets the agenda, and that means the speaker decides what comes up on the floor. But there's one way around that. 218 signatures on a discharge petition to move a bill means we can move a bill on the floor. Okay. So we need six, seven, eight Democrats to join us to get up to 218 signatures. And so I'm, we, the media should ask every Democrat, why, you know, why won't you sign this discharge petition? So that's number one. Number two, and we filed that discharge petition a year ago, Dana. I filed the discharge petition, Yvette Harrell's bill, to require Title 42. We did it a year ago because we knew what was coming. And, you know, a lot of people have been quiet over the last year, including on our side of the aisle, about what was coming. Number two, September 30th, the government funding runs out. Well, we've got now five and a half months, and we should fight and say, do not fund a government that refuses to secure the border. Let's have that fight. Republicans will run away from that, and they'll say, oh, don't do a shutdown fight before an election, and they'll hand ring. Look, stop funding government that is not uh, doing its job and that is taking away your tyranny. You're funding the government that's targeting DOJ, targeting parents who go to a school board and complain, and you're funding a DHS that refuses to scare the border. Don't do that. The third way to try to go after this is Texas. And frankly, we need to do more than we're doing. Now, look, Governor Abbott has done a lot in terms of DPS, and there's $3 billion of funding, and we've got uh, DPS guys down there helping. We're building some fence. That's all good. But it's, 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 it's slow and it's not uh, for the times. The times dictate that we need to actually go down there and do our own work as Texans to secure the border under the Constitution of the United States. We're being invaded and we should treat it as such. Yeah, isn't there, we're talking with Congressman Chiproy, isn't there some kind of uh, uh, way to say it? To stay, I mean, that many people, that kind of a mess, that's like a state of emergency in a way. I mean, it, couldn't the governor be able to declare something like that and then through those powers, I'm not quite sure what that grants him, but use, you know, National Guard something, you know, Texas Rangers something to help control it? Well, we've certainly got DPS down there and they're helping. And I, and I do not want to be misinterpreted that right. I the guy DPS and, and McGraw, who, who runs it, he's a friend, and Governor Abbott's a friend, and they're doing a lot. Right. I would just say that it's kind of reactive. And at some point here, you got to look at this, what you just said. It's an emergency. Our ranches, livestock, people, drugs, cartels, danger, uh, you know, the rape trees, the body trailers down yes. in South Texas. We need to stop that. And we need to stop it now because we're being invaded. Uh, and we are being invaded in the sense that we've got dangerous cartels and dangerous narcotics and dangerous to Texans. And uh, under Article uh, 4 in the Constitution, we have the ability to say, look, we're being invaded. Let's stand up and let's do our part as Texans say, no, you're not coming into Texas. We're stopping you. That's a big statement. And I get that that's big, but the times call for it. And that's what I'm suggesting is that uh, Texas needs to stand up. But but I'm trying to do what I can here, removing the Title 42 discharge petition. And I'm going to pick a funding fight between now and September about funding a government that refuses to secure the border. There you go. That's uh, and and I think that makes a lot of sense. I know Republicans get really scared about that, but that's a really good. It's a leverage tool. And honestly, I think that the the shellacking is going to be so great this midterm. That's not going to do anything to reduce that momentum. I want to switch yeah. gears and ask you about SCOTUS while we have you for the remainder of this sure. segment. Talking with Congressman Chiproy, the Great Republic of Texas, uh, Kentanji Brown Jackson. I'm not quite sure how we can even be considering 
a nominee to the highest court in the land when you have someone who can't even define what a woman is, considering that her refusal to do so would upend, I don't know how many years of jurisprudence, uh, sexual discrimination. What what does that mean if Title IX comes before the Supreme Court? I mean, you have the 19th Amendment lists sex discrimination as a prohibitive basis for for adjudicating this stuff. How is she going to deal with these cases when she's already showing that she's willing to be influenced by the super far left rage mob? And, and I know there's other issues, the natural rights, the restorative justice. That, to me, seems like the, one of the easiest things for conservatives to argue. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Well, as you know, I served as a lawyer on the mm-hmm. Senate Judiciary Committee. Um, I, I've been around this a long time. I worked on the nominations of Roberts Alito um, when we had Harriet Myers, And we, yeah. we took it with her not being fully qualified. And we got Sam Alito instead, which I think was the right outcome. This is what Republicans should have done here. They should have fought. Uh, credit to the Judiciary Committee Republicans for holding together to say no and sending it to the floor with a split vote. But when you have Susan Collins, who, by the way, didn't vote for Amy Coney Barrett, so she voted against Amy Coney Barrett, and it says she's going to vote for Ketanji Brown-Jackson. You got Mitt Romney yesterday saying going to vote for her. You've got uh, Murkowski from mm-hmm. Alaska doing it. These are two bright red states and then Maine, and these guys are voting for a radical leftist nominee who is terrible on these child porn sentences, who cannot say that we have natural rights, who cannot define woman, who has a history of elevating critical race theory. She is a radical leftist activist who is going to take the court to attorney. Let me just tell you out there, the Mitt Romney's of the world and so forth. Some Americans are going to be charged with hate crimes or being being targeted and facing jail time, like that member of parliament in Finland who's facing jail time for simply quoting Romans about lesbian and gay issues, that's gonna happen in the United States. And a radical leftist like Brown Jackson is gonna be determining your fate or the fate of a loved one of yours because of people like Mitt Romney, Susan Collins, and Lisa Murkowski. Yes, I'm angry at Republicans. Democrats never do this. Republicans just roll over and say, okay, she's qualified. No, she's not. She doesn't believe in natural rights or the constitution. She can't define woman. She's not qualified. She should be uh, roundly opposed. And to your point, and talking with Congressman Chip Roy, last point here, I, I, I thought it was interesting during the questioning, and I thought this was smart. There were a lot of instances brought up that were that were pitting Brown Jackson against, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and some of her uh, decisions like U.S. v. Virginia and w- right. w- really showing how different that has been from one generation to this generation. I mean, her her liberal ideology is one thing, but the fact that it she actually refuses to qualify herself with basic acknowledgement of science and established law, that is the thing that disqualifies her. Last last word from you, Congressman. No, that's exactly right. I mean, look, Republicans who are serving in Congress need to understand what's at stake. And they hide behind things like some sort of niceties and that she's qualified or whatever. That's absurd. You are not qualified to serve in the highest court in the land, frankly, any court, if you can't define woman. You're not qualified to serve on a court if you can't accept that there are natural rights. That's a big deal. We kind of just brush that aside. She literally said, I can't say whether there are natural rights. It's fundamental to being an American. It's what the Declaration of Independence is based upon in the Constitution flows from the Declaration. It is who we are as Americans. This is actually what I'm getting at with Texas and our right as Texans to defend ourselves and our communities. These are God-given rights. These do not flow from some powers that be. And that's my message to Governor Abbott and everybody in Texas, the Texas legislature, you're being attacked 
and you're just sitting there and you're saying, oh, we're going to do some criminal trespass and we'll build some fence. But what are you doing to actually protect ranchers, to protect Texan kids at school dying from Xanax laced with fentanyl or the migrants who are getting raped in stash houses in your state along I-10, along I-35? Stop it. Stand up and stand up for natural rights. Let's stand up for why this country was created. That's what we're called to do. Amen to that. Congressman Chiproy, well said. Love the passion and the truth, because it is true. Glad to see someone speak with reason and recognize science for the love. I mean, you know, it's 2022. Good to see you as always, Congressman. Thanks so much. You too, Danny. God bless you. You too. It's his life mission to make bad decisions. (laughs) It's time for Florida Man. So most people on their birthday, they celebrate by having a dinner. Maybe some people have a party. You know, they have birthday cake. But not this 22-year-old Deltona man. Oh, boy. This guy, well, his name's Russell Sliman. He uh, was accused of tackling a deputy, kissing his stepsister, and attacking his parents. That's how he decided to celebrate his birthday. Live in large. So the whole thing, he's facing eight felonies now. The whole thing started when the suspect's girlfriend said she saw him forcibly kiss his 16-year-old stepsister. And so that started a fight. As a, that's what started it. A family member dialed 911 after the fight broke out. So the caller said, my stepdad's pulling a gun on him. I'm scared, ma'am. Please help. Deputies drove up to the absolutely chaotic scene. And the only thing that I have is this, I'm going to put this in Slack for you guys, is this blurred image that's literally from one of the one of the police officers, like, shoulder cam badges. <sighs> so it was, it was on body camera. They got the audio. I, we can't play it because, oh, my. Yeah. So the deputy had his taser drawn. Sliman was fighting with everybody. And then he decides to attack the cops. Deputies drove up on the, on the scene. Right when they drove up, this dude was already on the ground fighting with another, ground, uh, fighting with another dude. And uh, it was just crazy. One of, the, one of the people there said, I thought I was going to die. So the guy's facing 10 charges, including eight felonies. Some of them include in battery, child abuse, and resisting arrest. Happy birthday to that guy, right? That's how he decided to celebrate. Live in large. I mean, the, the whole, the camera shot is just blurry. All you see is a fist and a guy who's making a grimaced face, and it's just a smear. It's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. I can't laugh. It's going to hurt. Oh, all right. So let's see. This is weird. A Clearwater man was arrested for stealing a lo- for stealing luggage after the family whose luggage he stole sees him wearing their stolen clothes. Uh, he's uh, this Pinellas, Florida man, the, uh, suspected to be homeless, was arrested after police say he stole a family's luggage from the ho- their hotel Saturday. Uh, according to Clearwater police, Mark Brienza found a luggage claim check at Frenchie's Rockaway in Clearwater. Took it to the hotel. He got the free got the free luggage. Police say they found Brenzia the next day after the victim called to report that they saw him riding around on a bike wearing all of their stolen clothes. <laughs> Security footage from the hotel shows him taking the luggage that he was taken into custody. He would not tell police where to find the other stuff. And then he later said that he kind of felt bad after he realized the items were for an entire family. Most of the stolen items were found. He apologized to the family. He was charged with grand theft. I mean, I feel bad for him, but also, dude, you're nuts. What? Stick with us. Another hour on the way. We helped save the global economy. Made record investments in clean energy. We put guardrails on our financial system. We helped 
turn the auto industry around, repeal, don't ask, don't tell. But nothing made me prouder than providing better health care and more protections to millions of people across this country. Golly, he just saved the world. I love how he cuts Joe out, too, by the way. Isn't that hysterical? He's just like, I know I'm up here for you, but screw you. It's all about me. Welcome back to the show. Your lovable curmudgeon, Dana Lash, here with you. And the former president is trying to help out the current president. So he's there at the White House for this weird, I don't know, 12th observation. It's just they just did a gimme ceremony so that they could try to have something positive to focus on. How weird is it? I mean, okay, I got to stop for a minute. How weird is it that he's standing there with Joe Biden and he's like, I did this, I did that. I did all of these things. And, uh, oh yeah, there's Joe. Right? Isn't that weird? Is it weird? It's almost like he said he saved the global economy while, you know, Biden is standing there ruining it all. Yeah. Everything that he did. Okay, I need you to play this audio soundbite right now because I'm going to get real mad at this one. Real mad at this one. We were just talking about this. Just talking about it. Go ahead and play that game. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Play it. Play it, play it, play it. Because the majority of Americans did have health care, some people naturally worried that they'd lose what they had. Yeah, I was one of those people who literally lost what I had because of Obamacare. So that's a bunch of crap. That's it. They were lying then about it, too. Well, yeah, they were. Of course they were. Of course they were. We all know better. They were totally lying about it then. (sighs) So, uh, yeah, it's this is notice that he didn't really say he's talking about that what he did during his administration, because there's nothing to celebrate from Biden's administration. There's there's he's there's nothing there's nothing great for them to talk about. They don't have any big achievements. None. I mean, yay, milk costs like six dollars a gallon now. Yay. Gas is you're saving 10 cents on gas. Not really. From what? You're paying more. It's also ridiculous. All right. So I told you yesterday it came out. Uh, Monday morning that Elon Musk became the largest shareholder for Twitter, which is, I mean, I got a lot of schadenfreude here. I'm not going to lie. And now then I was reading this tweet. It came out from uh, Jack Dorsey and then the guy who replaced Jack Dorsey on Twitter that he is joining, that Musk is joining Twitter's board of directors. So he's got a 9.2% stake in Twitter. He actually has more of a stake in Twitter than Jack Dorsey, the guy who invented Twitter. Jack Dorsey has like 2.4. Elon Musk has 9.2. I'm sure he could have bought more, but because he's a frillionaire, but yes, he's got to have spending limits. Okay. You get what I mean? So Twitter Inc., they had a regulatory filing that was released today saying that they entered into an agreement with Musk that's going to give him a seat on their board. The term expires at the 2024 annual shareholders meeting. Now, here's where Twitter is protecting itself. This is why I say that Twitter putting Musk on the board is a protection move for them. Because Musk, because he's a board member, 
he will not be allowed to own more than 14.9% of Twitter's outstanding stock for as long as he is a board member and for 90 days after. Interesting. So that's the Twitter's board. That's the rules for how Twitter runs its board of directors. So as long as he is on the board of directors, he is limited at how much, I think it's like 90 days before and after, how much stock he can own, right? And I think that that's, you know, they're trying to protect themselves to prevent Musk from buying up the entire company and walking in and just, you're fired, you're fired, you're fired, firing everybody. So I do think, to me, it seems like, I think he's making, I think this is smart in the way that you're approaching this because he's going in there saying, we're going to work together, although I still have the biggest amount of shares. I still have the most stake in the room, but we're going to try to work together. So he's, you know, he's, he's forcing them to come to the table, right, as the biggest shareholder. Now, he could still walk away from that position on the board of directors if, it, if, if they, he finds that they're unreceptive to free speech, etc. He could still walk away and then just buy up more shares if he wanted. I mean, if he chose, if he thought that was a good, you know, financial move to make. And I, I, I'm just, I don't, I'm curious to see how that give and take goes on the board because the people who are on Twitter's board of directors, these are people who have been there for eons and they have all been working over the years since Twitter's inception to move Twitter to this point to where if you say anything that's even remotely considered non-PC, you're jettisoned off you know, into the ether. So I don't know how, how, that, how that might work out. I, Twitter, obviously, and I thought it was funny because you had uh, uh, the guy Parag uh, who took over for Jack. He tweeted it out. Dorsey retweeted it. And you could tell that they were really trying to save a lot of face. They were scrambling to save some face here. And... You had uh, Musk who retweeted it and said, looking forward to working with Parag and Twitter board to make significant improvements to Twitter in coming months. So he's like, yeah, I'm not this. I Yeah, you need to improve some stuff. One of the first things that he did yesterday, he put he tweeted out, uh, does does do you need an do you want an edit button <clears throat> on Twitter? And of course, everybody said, yes, that's funny. But. It's going to be interesting to see what this looks like. And the other question, a friend of this, a friend of mine who's in tech brought this up. How much time does he really have to devote to this? How much time does Musk have to devote to this? You have Tesla, you have SpaceX. I mean, he's kind of busy, right? How much time does he have to devote to completely taking over and remaking and freeing up Twitter? I think it's a legitimate question. I mean, he's one dude. He can't do, you know, he can't do everything. So I think it's steps in the right direction, but that's how Twitter's moving to kind of protect itself a little bit. Just to see. I'm sure that they, can you imagine the calls that had to happen that have had, that had to have taken place when they realized that he was buying up majority share? Can you imagine the frantic phone calls with Twitter executives and their board of directors all freaking out? Oh my gosh, Elon Musk is buying up everything. We have to do something. I'm sure that that's, I really, please, I really wish that it was, we're not going to see any of this stuff meted out in public. Like you're not going to see back and forth, you know, Twitter discussion between Jack Dorsey, I think, and Elon Musk about this. But 
I really wish that there were cameras in the boardroom the first time for the first time when he walks in there and they have their in-person meeting. Oh my gosh. Do they have wait, do they have in-person meetings or are they still like, oh, we gotta do remote and mask? Are they gonna are they gonna coax Jack Dorsey out of his yurt somewhere on the islands in the South Pacific? Are they gonna coax him out? They'll probably have to put like little a trail of hash all the way to you know, San Francisco to coax him out of his yurt. Just wondering. I just have you how many okay another sidebar i'm just saying this because it's actually kind of impressive how many tie-dye shirts does a guy really do you need to own i was looking at this yesterday and i pulled up all these different windows on my browser because there were about nine different tie-dye shirts that he had been wearing in different little video interviews and that nine different tie-dye shirts He had like a green and black, a white and black. There was a red and orange, like a rainbow kind of one with purple and yellow and all that. A million. How many really do you need? I just think it's funny. It's just it just cracks me up. I see him. He's probably barefoot in cargo shorts and a tie dye shirt with a hemp necklace on somewhere. Right. All I need. All that's missing is a hacky sack. He's the 90s stoner right there. That's him. Oh, man. All right. We got, got a few other things to get into so let me see i've got there's some things i want to make oh here's what i wanted to get right two things here i want to touch on gender and then we're going to go on the grift so first off this gender stuff palm springs woke council they voted for a pilot scheme to pay 20 transgender residents up to 900 dollars a month for two years in a universal basic income test which that's not even universal basic income you're getting a payout because you're confused about, you know, your bits. And they say, but even city's trans mayor thinks it's a waste of money. At least the trans mayor has a couple of brain cells, you know. But the Palm Springs Council, they voted last week to begin this pilot program. So they're giving 20 transgender residents a guaranteed income of $900 a month for two years. I mean, I'm not saying that sounds like a good gig if you can get it, but you know what I mean? Come on. What in the world? Council member Christy Holstegi. Oh, gosh, this sentence. I can, you can hear the Karen vocal fry. She told the LA Times that she felt, quote, incredibly proud of the city for coming down on the right side of history and supporting our trans and non-binary and gender non-conforming community. She tweeted that in the city of Palm Springs, there are beak, blah, 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 blah. Oh, she looks nuts. She's got nutty eyes. I'm just saying, I took one look at this chick. She cry. And then you have uh, Lisa Middleton, the mayor of Palm Springs, who's a man who identifies as a woman, who's like, yeah, that kind of sounds nuts. No pun intended. Right? Jeez. Why is it always like these middle-aged progressive women that do this stuff? Just like I said the other day, isn't it amazing how trans children are born to trans activist parents activist tra- you know what i mean it's just amazing so that's the first thing and i just thought that nine hundred dollars a month for two years it's not even universal basic income because it's not universal right isn't universal where it's you know it's like for everybody couldn't you say that that's actually couldn't you say that that's discriminatory because it's only for trans people? 
right? Yeah, where's, your, where's, where's other people's money there? I'm curious. Now, here's the other thing. Black Lives Matter secretly used $6 million of their donations to buy a luxurious 6,500-square-foot mansion, seven bedrooms, parking for 20 cars. In fact, some of the videos that some of the leaders filmed came from that mansion. Uh, I'm wondering... Because you know nobody's running the ship over there, right? Nobody knows how many... Nobody knows who's running the money over there. Golly, it's such a grift. It's a scam. It was a scam. Seven-bedroom estate. BLM got 60... It was purchased after BLM got a $66.5 million donation from a fiscal sponsor in October of 2020. Jiminy Christmas. And of course, everyone's like, it's the right wing media machine, like literally putting this is a quote from Patrice Colors, literally putting all its weight against me. You're saying this from a mansion that you secretly bought. What in the world? We have more to come. And then also coming up, uh, the rage mob on the conservative side and a tweet that wasn't what it was accused of being. We'll talk about this and so much more. We have a lot still to unpack today on the program. And now, all of the news you would probably miss. It's time for Dana's Quick 5, brought to you by Caltech. So, New York Post says a U.S. warship was chased by two car-sized balls of light UFOs. A U.S. Navy warship was shadowed by two car... This is what it's described as. Two car-sized balls of light that were unaffected by anti-drone weapons, it's claimed. The USS Kearsarge is the latest vessel have reportedly had a UFO encounter as the military begins to open up about the mysterious phenomena. Documentary filmmaker Dave Beatty, who produced 2019 The Nimitz Encounters about the famous 2004 U.S. Navy encounter with the Tic Tac, revealed the reported sighting from October of 2021. At least the the two objects are said to have lurked near the 40,500-ton amphibious assault ship for several nights while it was on a training exercise off the coast of the U.S. They said that they were odd and menacing, these balls of light, and they were about a half mile behind the ship, about 200 feet above the ocean. And that's, wow, crazy. Now, the USS Kearsarge had been training at the time ahead of an overseas deployment, including with systems designed to take down enemy drones. So at first they thought it was surprise training, and then they realized that it maybe was not. That's really freaky. Grammys ratings, the Grammys last night, they're crap. That's all you need to know. Uh, Sound on Mars has a unique and extremely trippy property, according to recordings. They say that Mars has two speeds of sound, which may induce a unique listening experience on Mars with early arrival of high-pitched sounds compared to bass. I bet it is, just because, I, I mean, I yeah, I'm sure it is. U.S. coal prices hit a new record as well. Of course, you knew that was, that was going to happen. Uh, record price, French power prices go limit up as well. And mask wearing has left a generation of toddlers with struggling with speech issues. This is what educators are warning about. So coming up, how the right can sometimes be reactive and how some tweets aren't what they seem to be. We'll talk about all this and more. Stick with us. Want a behind-the-scenes look at The Dana Show? Subscribe to Dana's Chapter and Verse newsletter for a deeper dive in all things Dana at danalash.com. Welcome back. Your lovable curmudgeon Dana Lash here. Heard coast-to-coast 
We have what, 10 million listeners daily. We're the number one midday show. No inherited audience. All actually organic. And we're on a number of Cumulus stations. Now, I can tell all my syndicators are getting really nervous right now. I don't care. I feel like Ricky Gervais at Golden Globes. I'm like, I don't care. I don't care about any of this. And the reason I bring that up is because the number of these Cumulus stations. It was right after the State of the Union address. And we were playing a number of audio. And, of course, the, the nationally syndicated radio show is live streamed, also online video form. We have a video simulcast that takes place. So you can throw clips up and you can see video. And Juan had thrown video of the vice president up with her brown jacket and the brown chair and everything else. And we were like, she's so monochromatic, it's weird. And Kane had said, she looks like a UPS worker. And we're like, ah, you know, no big deal. And we went on, we were talking about everything else. Well, then I see this story from two days ago now. And, it, and we're going to talk to her in a minute. It involves Amber Athey, who was on uh, WMAL, a cumulus station out in D.C. And I think I actually saw this tweet when she put it out. She said, quote, Kamala looks like a UPS employee. What can Brown do for you? Nothing good, apparently. Because, Kane, what is UPS's slogan? Yeah. What can Brown do for you? Literally, that's their slogan. And that seems innocuous, right? You're making a riff off of a company slogan. Well, apparently, uh, it was deemed to be racist, and Amber was summarily fired from working at WMAL. Of course, she's also the Washington editor of The Spectator and a senior Blankley fellow at the Steamboat Institute. She also was the White House correspondent for The Daily Caller. She joins us now via Skype, Amber Athey. Amber, good to see you, and I'm glad you were able to join us. And I just have to say, I'm so sorry for what is happening to you, because this is so silly, and it's so ridiculous, and I don't understand how you're punished for an obvious joke. Um, and this all just happened to you this week. Tell us about this. Yeah, it's really a crazy story, and thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it, um, especially considering your show, as you mentioned, is syndicated on a couple of cumulus stations. Um, so basically what happened is a month ago, I sent that tweet, as you mentioned, and for at least a few days, nobody seemed to mind because everyone who saw it understood, obviously, what the intention was. It wasn't until after I got engaged in another Twitter showdown situation involving the protests at the University of North Texas, where people were wanting the right to be able to medically transition children into another gender. And these radical gender ideologists decided that because I was speaking out against this, they needed to find something, anything in my history to be able to shut me up. So the Kamala tweet was intentionally taken out of context. And I guess they tried to make it seem like the brown was referring to her skin color. They sent a whole bunch of emails to the radio station. And a week later, I was terminated effective immediately with no opportunity to even defend myself to the executive at Cumulus. We're talking with Amber Athey uh, over this tweet. And I'm not even sure, I'm not disagreeing with you, but I don't even know if your tweet can be taken out of context. I mean, the context is there. I mean, everybody knows the UPS slogan. I mean, there's no way anyone with more than one brain cell to rub together is going to read this (laughs) and think that you're making, you know, I'm just going to ruin my career and make a race. I mean, that's, and everybody's familiar with this. It's, I mean, it's a, it's a advertising, it's a marketing slogan. 
was, and I think this is what got a lot of people talking because WMAL is a cumulus station. And as you noted, we're on a number of them. That's why I, we didn't, we didn't clear this conversation with anybody before we had it because this is silly. And I can't stand it when conservatives are felled by other reported, you know, reportedly conservatives. I just, I can't stand that. Did WMAL make this decision? They have a friend of mine's on there. They have a lot of great programming. I don't want to, you know, throw shade at anybody. But when the decision was made, did you get the impression, was it, was it pressure from the higher-ups brought on by the progressives, or was it the station that made the call? My understanding is that this was a corporate decision, although to this day, after a month of trying to get more clarity on what exactly happened, we still don't have the name of the individual or group of individuals who actually made the decision to fire me. That remains elusive. Um, and I will say that the other hosts on WMAL have spoken out on their own programs in my defense. A lot of them were working behind the scenes trying to get me back on air. And unfortunately, they just exhausted all of their options. Um, The two people who did call me with the decision, I don't know if they were actually involved in the decision-making process, were a woman from HR named Kristen Vanthelis and the vice president of the D.C. Area Operations for Cumulus, Jeff Bowden. So those are the only two names that I can give people when they ask me who was responsible for this. Because the truth is, the station has really tried to avoid transparency about exactly how all of this went down. If you're not even able to face your accusers, and it's something that actually affects your career, and it also is designed to malign your character. I mean, for the people who are unaware, I mean, we played the video of the Denton, the whole North Texas University up in Denton. That was a nightmare. Uh, That rally that happened, and there was a a young conservative woman who had to hide, literally hide in a closet from the rage mob. Uh, And for those people, their goal obviously wasn't just to get you removed from airwaves. It was to malign your reputation, cast you as a racist and make you toxic for, I think, employment anywhere. And at least it worked with this first step. Did anyone I have to ask you this? We're talking to Amber Athey. Did anyone ask you before the decision was made? Do you I mean, was there at any point did anyone say, "Okay, what's up with the tweet or can you explain this to us? Was it just, hey, here it is. This is the decision. Bye. There was no conversation with anyone um, outside of our show or even within the show um, about this tweet. This was completely out of the blue. Um, Nobody thought that this tweet was really a problem. Nobody thought that Cumulus would be so quick to pull the trigger based on what I assume were maybe half a dozen emails of people complaining. And um, I was actually on the show the morning before I was fired. I hosted the Wednesday morning radio show like I normally do alongside my friend Larry O'Connor, who has been great throughout this whole process. And then it wasn't until three o'clock that afternoon that I got this phone call from the corporate executive telling me that I was terminated immediately and that I couldn't even come back to host the Thursday show like I normally did. I wasn't offered severance. I wasn't offered anything except for, hey, here's your last pay stub. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. Wow. We're talking to Amber Athey, who had tweeted when Kamala Harris wore the brown shirt, brown jacket, sitting in a brown chair, uh, was doing a riff on UPS, saying that she looked like a UPS employee and then quoted the UPS slogan and was maligned as being a racist when clearly it wasn't. That, I mean, that's... um, to be accused of a moral failing without and that way i and and when you feel like you're amongst like-minded individuals and i don't say that because you expect people to agree with you all of the time but you expect people to at least 
you know, hold off on judgment and give benefit of the doubt of the doubt and, and, and explore the story a little bit before rushing to judgment. I, I'm sure that had to kind of surprise you. It definitely did. And in fact, I was even mocking the people who were trying to cancel me because I thought it was such a ridiculous tweet to latch on to that there's no possible way that any of my employers would take this seriously. And WMAL and Cumulus were the only ones that did. The Spectator got a couple of emails. They laughed and then deleted them. My fellowship has been standing in support of me. It was really just Cumulus. And I find it so unfortunate because this is a, uh, a network, you know, a media company that makes a lot of money off of conservative talent. And if they're going to tell conservative hosts like yourself, like uh, Dan Bongino, like Mark Levin, Ben Shapiro, that anytime someone accuses them of racism, no matter how uh, you know appropriate the charge or not, that they could be losing their job without a moment's notice, I think is really problematic for our job as political commentators and our ability to speak the truth on air. I mean, if you don't have the protection of your employer and knowing that they're going to uh, defend you from these baseless attacks, then what do you really have? That's a great point. We're talking with Amber Athey. What gets me too, not to call you out, Kane, because I thought it was an app, you know. Wait, am I fired now? No, yeah. I, well, that, I mean, honestly, <laughs> I mean, let, let me just be honest here for a minute. Is I mean, this was brought to their attention because the she made the protesters in Denton mad because she just spoke obvious truth. You made this joke. I know others made the joke. I mean, it's funny. I mean, for the love. I mean, it does. You don't wear UPS colors. It's just weird. But you're here. Yeah. You never, Kane never got an email. No. Amber gets an email and Amber gets fired. And no apology, no anything. I'm just wondering where the consistency is. I'm not asking for you to get fired because it would be dumb. But I'm just wondering where's the consistency. I mean, if they're truly consistent about this, I'm wondering if they'll say anything to me, to my program. I mean, I would yeah. love to have that conversation. I mean, it's, you know, we'll see. But I just think it's silly. It's I, I wanted to get, and we're talking with Amber Athey, this whole tweet thing is so ridiculous. Tell me about what this has been like for you. I mean, after now all of this has happened, because... It's one thing to to face the rage mob when it's the left, but to have someone on the conservative side of things betray you, and that's what it is. It's a betrayal. And a lot of people, and I said this very angrily on social media, there are a lot of conservatives that are too afraid to speak up because they're too busy clout chasing for contributorships on Fox News. Let's be real. Um, And they don't want to say anything because they don't want to rock the boat and they don't want to jeopardize their chances. What has this been like in the aftermath for you? Because to to be accused of something like this I don't want to say it hurts your feelings, but it does it does slice you in a way. Talk a little bit to that. Yeah, that's kind of sort of the underrated or undermentioned part of these mob campaigns and these smear campaigns is that there is a personal effect that it has on people. And luckily, I'm a really strong person. Like I went to Georgetown at the height of the safe space trigger warning nonsense um, as a really outspoken conservative. I have been attempted to be canceled before. This is not my first rodeo by any means. Uh, I kind of pride myself in being willing to say things that other people are afraid to say and standing up for myself um, against these unjust cancellations. But it does it does get to you sometimes. And if you know it can get to me, and I consider myself a very thick-skinned person, imagine how many dozens of people are seeing this and saying. I'm never going to speak out again because look at what they did to this girl who actually has some semblance of power in terms of my social media platforms and support from conservative allies. I don't have anything. I'm a random person on Twitter. 
I don't work in conservative media. I mean, there there's a real chilling effect that, that occurs when things like this happen to people because the social and professional ramifications can be so steep, especially if you don't have the support system to back you up. That's true. That's a really good point, because if they can silence you, they can silence. I mean, it, it gives motivation to, you know, that, as you said, the chilling effect. Amber Athey, last question for you. Are you concerned about what this means for you after this? Are you worried about any kind of professional implications? And if so, I mean, are you exploring any options to rectify this or I mean, on their end to challenge them? I'm just kind of I don't want to get you in a legal bind here because I have no idea what you have planning. But what are you doing? I mean, are you exploring legal options? I mean, it seems unjust. Yeah, it's a good question. I was exploring legal options for a little while. Unfortunately, I am an outgoing employee and the social media policy that they claimed that I violated was so vague as to be useless. Right. It's basically a CYA policy so that they can fire you for whatever reason they want. Um, but, you know, moving forward, I'm not really worried about this. I think the support that I've received in the aftermath has been a hundred times what Cumulus uh, was receiving from people who were upset about the tweet in the first place. And, you know, I still have my job as a spectator. I still have fellowship. I'm finishing up a book. I'm going to be absolutely fine. I'm more worried about what this means for everybody else is the ability to speak freely on matters of politics. And, you know, if you can't criticize the second yeah. most powerful person in the United States, who can you criticize? It's a great point. And I want to point out that Amber's not you're 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 sharp witted, but you're not a bomb thrower for throwing bomb's sake. You're not a shock jock for the sake of being a shock jock. I mean, I think your approach has always been very thoughtful and very genuine, which is why it just shocked me that this was, you know, the reaction to a clearly innocuous tweet that you made. I'm sorry that this happened to you. And I hope it doesn't happen to anyone else. And I hope more people band together and speak up when other conservatives are wrongly maligned this way. Amber, Athey, always good to see you. Good to talk to you for the first time in person. You can go and find her work at The Spectator and you can follow her on Twitter as well. I think we had that up at the bottom, lower third. Amber, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you. Of course. Take care. Listen to the Dana Show live on the Odyssey app. Weekdays, noon to 3 p.m. Eastern Time. Make sure you go sign up for the newsletter over on Substack, chapter and verse, all kinds of good stuff. I like uh, I like our, you know, I, 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 I like all of our. Obviously, our stations, I like Cumulus, I like everybody. It just surprises me that this kind of stuff happens. And I really wish that people were not influenced by the mob like that. You know, it just doesn't make any sense. And to, to accuse someone of a moral failing like that is I and I wrote a whole chapter about that in the uh, my last book, Grace Canceled is so I just just think that's evil and that slices you a different way because you're because that the people making that false accusation are trying to hurt two people and not just the target there and 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 they're pushing division it's just awful just awful and and I'm glad that more people are are talking about this yeah we I mean obviously I couldn't not talk about it but there he is. All right. So, goodness. I just saw this video of Joe walking around and nobody paying attention to him in the room. And I got momentarily distracted. He does look like John Travolta in that scene from Pulp Fiction where he's kind of just like, uh, what, what, what? Yeah. I almost feel bad for him because he's so close. But then I remember how mean he was as a senator and how ambitious he was. And I don't feel bad for him anymore. 
and I don't feel bad for not feeling bad for him. You know what I mean? Kane today in stupidity. All right. Uh, what's the show called? The Spew or The View? What's Anna Navarro? Where's she on? The Pew? Yeah, there yeah. it is. So she is saying that Republicans are going to go down in history as being against the first black woman justice. Ooh, she is unaware of history, but listen. So she's going to have the 50 votes. She's going to be the justice. And they are going to have missed the historical moment yep. of voting for the first black woman. Yeah. And they're going to go down in history as having been against the first black woman justice. Hmm. So not true. But again, it's the spew. Or what did you say in the pew? Yeah. Yeah, the pew. The sh- yeah, I mean, really, there's a number of names. Pretty so, stupid. Yeah. All right, folks, sign up for the newsletter, chapter and verse, all kinds of good things up there. And I'll be back behind the mic with you tomorrow.